you can learn a lot about a person by his friends and his enemies. What sort of friends he keeps and what sort of people do not like him. From both directions, you'll learn a lot about that person. We put that into practice tonight as we look at David. We've been studying David for a few months. Tonight, we're going to look at 10 people, each of them very quickly, that um, were his enemies or friends, and some of them switched sides. Um, enemies, those that switch sides, and then the loyal friends. And it has two applications. We too have friends and enemies, and so we'll learn how to deal with them and how to be a good friend. And also how these are types of people in their relationship to God. So I'll very briefly tell the story and then make these applications about people we know and then how people relate to Christ as either friends or enemies. Now all of this is found in 2 Samuel 15 to 20. So we're not going to read any one portion. We'll just very quickly go through this list. Number one, Ahithophel. If anybody's taking notes, that's an interesting name to try to spell. Ahithophel. And he's mentioned in chapters 15 to 17. He had been one of David's counselors or cabinet members, and he's older now and well experienced, but he turns on David and he becomes the right hand man of David's enemy. You know, in the Middle East, it's the idea my enemy's friend is my enemy. Uh, and my friend's enemy is my enemy. And so he switches sides to work with Absalom, who was David's son that became his enemy and wants to kill David and become the next king. So a messenger comes to David and says this, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David replies, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness, which is a good example for us when we Think of people that are advocating bad causes. Say, Lord, give them confusion and, and, and no success. And so Absalom had made him his chief counselor. And so Ahithophel comes to him and suggests a plan. And before Absalom made a decision, another man shows up named Hushai. We'll get to him later in our list. And he recommends another plan. And Absalom accepts that one and not Ahithophel and what happened was God intervened just as David had prayed. And listen to what it says in Samuel. For the Lord had purposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. In other words, it was good advice that would have helped overthrow David. And so the Lord worked it out so Absalom wouldn't listen to that advice. And it worked against Absalom and against Ahithophel. So it's kind of like intrigue. And when this happened, uh, Ahithophel felt disgraced and he realized this revolt is going to fall. He can't go back to David. He can't stay here. And so we're told, unfortunately, that he committed suicide. He hanged himself. Okay, here's our applications on Ahithophel. Have you ever felt betrayed by a close friend that turned on you? Sometimes husbands and wives, one is cheating and turns on the other one. It's like a knife in the heart. And it really does hurt. The closer a person is, the more it hurts And when you're betrayed. Proverbs 27.10 says, do not forsake your friend or your father's friend. So what should we do? We should pray for a person that's no longer a friend, but an enemy. Pray for that person. 
Offer forgiveness. Ask God to touch his heart, her heart. And pray, like David did, that that person won't have other people turn against you because sometimes an enemy will turn other people against you like Ahithophel tried to do. Also, turn that person over to God and wait for God to intervene as he did with Ahithophel. David didn't say, let's go after and get that guy. He turned him over to God and, um, and God intervened. Here's another application. Don't you betray a close friend or relative like Ahithophel did. It's bad enough when someone does it to us, but may it never be that we betray a good friend. Examine your heart. Think about it. Is there anyone that ever betrayed you? Is there anyone you ever betrayed and hurt and you were never reconciled with? The Bible talks about this. So if it's your problem, repent and apologize to that person. It's never too late. I remember I fell out with a very good friend of mine many years ago. And three or four years passed and I felt so bad I phoned him up. And when he answered, the first words I said was, I apologize. And he said, I apologize too. I really felt, and it was over in a minute. After all those years, we had hurt each other and now we're reconciled. And for years after that, we were, again, best of friends. Second application, this typifies some people's relationship to Christ. For example, this incident is mentioned in Psalm 41 and Jesus applies it to Judas. My bosom friend has lifted up his heel against me. He's he's turned on me. And some people are like Ahithophel and like Judas. Uh, Ahithophel pretended to be a friend of David and then he turned on him and showed his true colors. That's what Judas did. That's what some people do. They pretend to be Christians and then eventually they switch sides and they become dangerous enemies of Christ and Christians. I was reading about this just this last week that some of the worst enemies of Christianity are ones that used to go to church and even some that were preachers. They turned vehemently on Christianity. Sometimes, like a hit that fell, they feel hemmed in and they wake up and see they were fools. What have I done? And so some of them even die in despair like suicide. So uh, keep an eye on certain people that resemble Ahithophel. Okay, number two, Sheba. Now, I don't think he's related to Bathsheba, and he didn't come from the land of Sheba, but he's mentioned in chapter 20. Verse one calls him a son of Belial. You'll, you'll see that term in the Bible. What's, who or what is Belial? What's well, a Hebrew way of saying Baal, the devil, Baalzebub. And so a son of Belial is a worthless person that's still a son of the devil that cannot be trusted. Okay, back to the story. Um, After David was restored to the throne and Absalom's revolt was crushed, another revolt comes and involves Sheba. And so Joab's forces go after Sheba and they chase him down. And Sheba takes refuge in a walled town. Now walled towns there would be like, if you remember the law of... uh, that if you had killed someone, you can go to the city of refuge and then they say, okay, we give you sanctuary and then the elders look into this and they don't turn you over to the, the mob. And so he sought refuge in this town, but Joab threatens now to destroy that whole town. Remember, Joab is not a nice fella, kind of a bully. 
And so Joab shows up with his troops and says, uh, give them up or we're going to destroy the whole town. All of you are going to hang like, uh, like Sheba. And then something very unusual happened. Go and look this up. Uh, when Joab made this threat, the men in the town were kind of scared and they were wimps and didn't do the right thing. But the women did. I'd love to have been there watching. And the women get together and they capture Sheba and said, if you're too much of a wimp, to, I'm paraphrasing, to go out there and give yourself up and because you don't, we're all going to die. Well, we're not going to stand for this. So they executed him and they, they cut his head off, went to the wall and they said, Joab, you want him? Here's his head. And they threw it out there. Wow. What a story. And the women did the right thing because this man deserved to die. He had been a murderer, an executioner. And then that stopped Joab and he got on his horse. And in other words, this is mentioned elsewhere in the Bible that the women did the right thing when the men wouldn't. And God bless women that do that. And they ended up saving the rest of the city. Here's an application from this bad example of Sheba. He was an inveterate enemy of David, and we too have some people that are inveterate, hostile enemies, and no matter how kind you are to them, no matter how fair you are to them, they're like a mad dog. They still hate you. You cannot appease them. Just like mailmen learn, there's some angry dogs you can appease. They always carry a little bag of, you know, little pieces of food to throw the dog, make them offend. But a mailman will say, there's some dogs you cannot pacify. All you can do is run, jump on a car or climb a tree. And some people are like that. So should what we do? Be like Christ. Commit them to God. Pray for God to intervene. And it may be in a surprising way like God intervened with Sheba. But also be wise and cautious to these people. Don't turn your back on them. You know, you've heard about some of the old cowboys in the West when they'd sit down to play poker, they always sat with their back to the wall because they knew someone could come in and shoot them in the back. You have to be careful with some people. Like Sheba, they may try to turn your friends and family against you. Okay, let's go to the higher level. Some people are inveterate enemies of Jesus Christ, just like Sheba. They, they'll go to their grave cursing Jesus implacably hostile to the very end. They would rather die than surrender to Jesus, just like Sheba here. And like in the story, they may be chased by God's spirit, but what do they do? They run. And God's warning is you can run, but you cannot hide. God will chase you down with his bloodhound. So the word goes out to people like this, surrender and live or you will surely die, just like Sheba. Joab said, surrender and you'll live. I think he probably would have killed him anyway, but if you don't, we're going to kill the whole village. And, uh, and what happened to Sheba? He did surely die. I guess you might be stretching the typology. Uh, God not only has the women that executed Sheba, he has angels that can execute people that are like Sheba, enemies of Jesus. And I think all of us know unusual stories of people that or hostile against God and God's people. And God somehow through angels and providence arranges for them to have an awful death. Okay, there's Sheba. Number three, Amasa, A-M-A-S-A. -A -A. He was a nephew of David. And uh, he was also made one of Absalom's top advisors, particularly a general 
It's kind of the counterpart now of Joab. But uh, when Absalom's revolt failed, somehow he survived. David's men didn't chase him down and catch him yet. And so now he wants to go back to David. He's trying to save his own neck, but he was self-seeking and he really didn't care for David. And it's like David said, well, you turned against me. I can't trust you. You might turn on me again if another revolt comes. And so soon after this, Joab meets up with him and says, oh, and remember, Joab is the sort of person you can never trust. He did much good, did much evil. And so he sees a master. He says, oh, you want to be back with David here? And he says this, come here, my brother. Welcome. And Amasa unfortunately trusted Joab. And so he goes, oh, and while they're hugging, Joab reaches in and pulls out his sword. And he gives it to him right there, point blank, right between the ribs. Because Amasa had something to do with the death of Joab's brother. And it stabs him. And it says, by the way, when they hugged him, it says that lest he gets away, Joab grabs him by the beard, pulls out the sword and let him have it right then and there. Wow. Well, what a grisly account. Here's her first application of this lesson. There's some people like Amasa you just cannot trust. Even relatives. You love them. You pray for them. You do good to them. You just can't trust some people. You can't trust them if they say two plus two equals four. You wonder, there's a trick here somewhere. You just can't. Do you know anybody like that? Maybe relatives or friends or people you work with. You just can't trust them. They lie. They're like a mass up. And they don't seem to have strong convictions like a mass. They go back and forth, self-seeking. And you never know what they'll do next. They may be your friend. They may be your enemy tomorrow. So again, we need to be very careful with these. You know, there's a term they use in Scotland. They won't, they won't say be careful. They'll say, I like to be very canny with them. Be very careful. Sleep with one eye open, looking at them, making sure they don't give it to you in your sleep. Be very careful. And again, entrust them to the Lord. God will take care of them just like Amasa, even another enemy turning on him. Okay, again, higher level, some People that pretend to be Christians are like Amasa. They're, they say they're converted, but they'll change sides too easily. They said, oh yes, I was saved at a Billy Graham crusade and I invited Jesus in my heart. And then after a few months, they're going to a Mormon church or going to the bar every Saturday night and you wonder some convert. And then they switch back. Well, I'm dedicated myself again to Jesus. Well, they were never saved to begin with, but they're flip-flopping back and forth, they don't show convincing evidence they were really saved, and they don't show evidence that they really renounced Satan. They keep going back and forth. So you always wonder about people like this. Where is their heart really? Is it with Christ or is it with the devil? So you can't trust them. Anything they do is say, so you pray for them and be cautious. And again, God will deal with them, just like Sheba and Ahithophel. Now let's look at two others that changed sides in unusual circumstances and they weren't really David's enemies but they changed sides unwittingly. Uh, and we looked at both of these last week, Mephibosheth and Ziba. You remember little Mephibosheth uh, crippled in his legs and then David 
uh, adopted him into the family, eat with me at the family meal, restored to him his, uh, his inheritance and the farm. And Ziba helped out. And he was put in charge to help Mephibosheth raise the family and take care of the family farm. And so when David was on the run from Absalom, Ziba supplied him with various foodstuffs and protection. So there was a good example in Ziba. But then during this time, you know, it's like in a civil war or like in Ukraine now. Some people are saying, I want to fight for Ukraine, but what if we lose? And the Russians take over. Some of them say, well, I'm going to cover all bets and be friends with both of them. Ziba's kind of like that. So um, he says to David, Mephibosheth has betrayed you. He cited, oh, he's, he's, he's helping Absalom. Because you remember, Mephibosheth was the grandson of Saul. And he's thinking, if David is overthrown, I might be made king. And he's forgetting that David was so kind to him and showed him the kindness of the Lord. So he listened to Ziba without checking it out with David. And then when Absalom's revolt was defeated, Ziba and Mephibosheth come back to David in repentance, kind of like a whipped dog, like, uh-oh, what are you going to do to us? Are you going to kill us? We, we side with your enemy. Uh, and so Mephibosheth gives his side of the story. And basically what he says is, David, I unfortunately believe what, what Ziba said about you. Um, and I should have checked it out with you. And so who should he have believed? And I mean, that's an interesting thing. What would you have done if you were David and you know you had been kind to Mephibosheth and now he, he turned on you and he says, but it wasn't my fault. I should have checked it out. And he points over at Ziba and Ziba said, well, I said the right thing. Now, how do you believe? You remember Solomon when he had the two women fighting over the one baby. What did David do? He, he, he broke the impasse. So what he said was, what about that family farm that belongs to Mephibosheth and Ziba's been taking care of it? So what he said was, here's what we'll do. Bring in a sword, just like Solomon, and cut it in half and give half the farm to Ziba and half to He was testing them. And Mephibosheth said, no, give it all to Ziba. I am not worthy because I turned on you. And Ziba said, yeah, give it to me. And David knew, of course, then at which one was guilty. And Mephibosheth is begging forgiveness which is all that he wanted. He wanted to be in good stead with David again, didn't care about the farm. But Ziba wanted the farm, and immediately a test like that showed their character. So David gave it all to Mephibosheth, and he forgave, forgave him, he says, you were misled, your heart was right, but you, you followed the wrong advice. Interesting story. Okay, here's our application. Sometimes we're in difficult positions of not knowing who to believe in a dispute. Anybody ever been like that? I have when I'm counseling a couple or friends or something, and you say, you know, one of them sure sounds convincing, and you listen to the other and say, well, he sounds convincing too. And you know, immediately they both can't be right. They both might be wrong, but they both can't be right. Somebody here is lying. So sometimes it's helpful to do what David and Solomon did, put them to a test or make them swear an oath or appeal up to God. But lesson is, don't always believe that first person you hear. Don't always believe Mr. Zeba. Let Mephibosheth have his say as well. Hear both sides. Give someone the benefit of the doubt. Wish well. Hope that they're telling the truth. 
Proverbs 16, 17 says, the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. In other words, like in the court of law, you have the right of cross-examination. Here are both sides. That's what my dad used to always say. Son, give someone the benefit of the doubt. Here are both sides of this story. He sounds convincing. The other guy, you owe it to him to listen. He might be the true one. Mephibosheth told the truth and Ziba kind of stretched it all. Okay, higher level, some people are like Ziba in their relationship to Christ. You say, how? Well, they're lying like Ziba did to um, Mephibosheth and they deceive some Christians in order to lure them away from Christ. Just like Ziba tried to lure Mephibosheth's loyalty away from David. Some people are like that. They say, I too am a Christian, but you know, I sometimes have doubts as to whether Jesus really is God and whether there are miracles that are planting doubts in people's minds like Satan. And also, like Zeba, trying to play both sides of the fence, cover all bets. Kind of like someone in time of war that said, well, like in Ukraine, I'm sure there are people now that are saying, yeah, you know, let's hear it for Zelensky. And then a week later, let's hear it for Vladimir Putin. They want to cover all bets and be safe. And they think they're clever and can win either way. You know, there are gamblers that do this sort of thing. They're very complicated with the different odds. And they cover such a thing as that they think they can't lose. But they can. In the spiritual realm, Christ will find them out and take care of them. And like in this story, we'll take away their estates. Okay, number six, similar to this, is Shimei. Um, also, change sides in an unusual situation. You wonder, where was his heart? He also was related to King Saul, but he wasn't an heir to the throne, so he wasn't involved in the intrigue, thinking he can become the king. He's mentioned in 2 Samuel 16 and 19. He was the one that when David was uh, fleeing the, uh, the palace with a few of his servants and wives and uh, fleeing for his life, like, oh, we better get out or Absalom's going to come in and cut our heads off. And as he was going, Shimei met him kind of off on the side of the road on a little hill. And as David goes by, Shimei starts yelling at him and cursing at him and throwing rocks at him and, you know, say, come up here and I'll, I'll fight you, David. In other words, he, really, he was really mad. And he wanted David dead. He wasn't afraid to do all this, even when David had some soldiers. And one of the soldiers said, David, just give the word and I'm going to cut that guy's head off. Have you ever seen someone really mad like an angry dog, just vicious? Well, that's how Shimei was. And he said David was, uh, was, uh, had to flee for his life. David, God's punishing you because you, you killed Saul and his family and I survived it and God's getting, getting you for this. But he was wrong. He didn't have his information right. David didn't have anything to do with killing Saul. Remember, it was the Philistines. It was the Philistines that killed Jonathan and the rest of the family, except Mephibosheth and Shimei, so he didn't get his information right. David was being chastened, not for Saul, but for his dealings with Bathsheba and Uriah. So Shimei is showing gross disrespect for King David. And then uh, one of David's friends that was with him named Abishai comes up to him and says, David, I'll kill him. How dare he speak to my king? He should be with you. But David says, no, he submitted to this. And 
So here's what David said. Let him curse because the Lord has said to him, curse David. Who then shall say, why have you done so? Let him alone, Abishai. Let him curse for the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and repay me with good for his cursing. Interesting. He sees that he does deserve to be treated in a bad way because of Bathsheba. He was taking his punishment. He says, this guy means it for evil, but God has allowed him to do this because I am guilty for something else. So, you know, that's interesting. It's like how God chastens us in unusual ways. And we think we get away with one thing and God chastens us for another. And sometimes parents will do this. I wonder if parents are listening tonight. Where a child um, may get away with something and didn't get punished because mama didn't find out about it. And then later he's caught for something he didn't do and gets punished. That child ought to think, well, I'm being punished for the first thing that I thought I got away with, but not for this, but a punishment, it's a punishment. And sometimes a parent can explain that. I remember something like that happened to me as a child. Like I got away with something. I'm now being punished for something I didn't do. But really this is a punishment for that first thing that I did wrong. And that's what happened with David. And uh, Shimei, I didn't really understand all this. Uh, so David trusted and again, waited on God for him to vindicate him. And he did. And later when David was restored to the throne and the, the revolt was putting, put down, Shimei shows up at the palace in humility and begs forgiveness. And again, Abishai said, David, don't trust him. He turned on you. He cursed you. He still deserves a death penalty. But again, David stops him and he spares Shimei and he forgives him. And he says, and he even takes an oath. Interesting. He says, I, you know, as the Lord is my witness, I will not execute you. And then later when David was on his deathbed and he calls Solomon to his side, says, you're going to be the next king. And he says to Solomon, keep an eye on Shimei. Don't trust him. I took an oath not to execute him, but don't trust this man, Solomon. Don't trust him. David suspected that Shimei may not have really been sincere. He just wanted to save his own neck. And he was self-seeking, he had switched sides, and he wasn't truly repentant. You know, sometimes you can sense that in a person. He's not really repentant, he's just trying to cover himself. So David had sworn an oath that he wouldn't execute him, but Solomon wasn't bound by that oath. And then sometime after David died, Solomon put Shimei to the test and said, okay, David allowed you to live. Here's the terms. Shimei, are you listening? You have to stay in Jerusalem. And of course, if you ever curse me or be part of any revolt, you're dead meat. But here's the term, stay in Jerusalem, no excuses. Well, a period of time passed, three years actually. And I think, you know, there were some lost animals out there and Shimei sneaks out, I gotta go and get these animals back. And so he broke his oath, broke the terms of his forgiveness. Solomon found out about it and said, he broke the terms of his uh, pardon, his parole. Go get him, bring him back here, and execute him. And that's just what happened. Interesting story. Okay, here's the first lesson. We too have people like this in our lives like Shimei. And we're innocent of their accusations. Uh, maybe they're opposing us because we're Christians. 
And maybe it's unjust accusations filled with malice and venom. Uh, just like Shimei I was saying, it's all your fault, David. No, he didn't have anything to do with Saul's death or Jonathan's. And it still hurts to be the victim of a false accusation. Doesn't that hurt? Imagine people, and I've known two, that were unjustly convicted of a major crime and were sent to prison. One of them was a member of our church in Texas. 14 years for a crime he did not commit. In fact, it was a crime that never happened. And I knew another one in uh, San Diego that was eventually released. They reopened his case. He was innocent. And I remember him thinking, you know, it was not easy to take that, knowing you're absolutely innocent. Well, David was innocent. Very humbling. Very humiliating. Shimei held this grudge for years, because it had been years since Saul had died. Don't hold a grudge. Enough said on that. Shimei had his facts all wrong. We need to get our facts right before we accuse somebody. How would you like to accuse someone and find out, oops, you were wrong? Uh, doesn't the Ten Commandments address this? Do not bear false witness. Shimei kicked David when he was down, when he was on the run and humiliated and Shimei. And you know, there are people like that. They just wait for you to fall and then they jump on you with both boots. And they hit you and they enjoy your pain. And it humiliates you even for that insult to injury and they enjoy it like Shimei did. Let's don't ever do that to anybody. If we see an enemy down and out, we shouldn't say good for you. No, we should say, can I help you back up? I'm willing to forgive. And that's what David was willing to forgive Shimei, even though he didn't fully trust him. We can learn a lot about David, as I said, by his enemies. So, but again, David very wisely saw God's invisible hand in all this. Do you do that with your Shimei? Say, I turn him over to the Lord, and then you keep an eye on this. What is the Lord going to do? It's true you're innocent and you should know that God is using this humiliation to humble you. You know, when, you, when you're falsely accused, just say, well, I'm falsely accused. And you hear the echo of Satan, the great accuser, and say, well, the Lord's allowing this. Remember, David said, the Lord is allowing Shimei to do this to humble me. When someone falsely accuses you or does something to you at work or maybe in the family, Submit to it and say, he's doing it for a wrong reason, but God's using this for a good reason. Remember David, uh, David, uh, Joseph and his brothers, you meant it for evil, and they did. They sold him into slavery, wanted to kill him, but he said, God meant it for good. Same thing with Shimei. Think about that with your enemies. They mean it for evil, but God means it for good. And don't return curses for curses. First Peter 2.23 uh, talking about Jesus. When he was reviled, that means insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to the one that judges righteously. Commit your enemy to God. Put him in God's hands. And let God deal with him and appeal the case up to God, whoever that person is. And like David, be willing to forgive. If the person says he's sorry, be willing to meet him at least halfway. And in some cases, like David, you may wonder, was he truly sorry? Just wait. The Lord will intervene. Let God put that person to the test. And it may become evident that he really was repentant or that he really wasn't. Give them to God. 
And again, don't be like a Shimei. Have you ever treated someone like Shimei did to David? Have you ever gotten mad at someone and even cursed him and thrown rocks and said, I had someone do that to me, and he was a Christian. He got real mad at me. And he said something kind of insulting. He said, well, like Elvis said, you ain't no friend of mine, hound dog. And he got real mad at me, and I'm thinking, you didn't have to say that. Um, later, he died in a car crash. And I didn't say, well, that was the Lord taking care of him, but we shouldn't be like Shimei and curse people and get you know crude in our insults. Uh, don't be a Shimei. Uh, and don't show disrespect to someone. You remember, David was still the king. Bible says, show respect to those that are in authority. Your father, your husband, your boss at work, elected officials you disagree with. We might disagree with our president. He's still our president. Don't be like Shimei and openly curse him and make fun of him. Even if he deserves it, it's not for us to show disrespect for them. You remember the story of Paul when he was before the... uh, Sanhedrin and and he insulted a man not knowing that was the chief priest and then someone said Saul that's the chief priest he said I'm sorry because the Bible says you should not speak evil of a dignitary so let's don't be like Shimei we should repent and mean it Shimei really didn't and we should prove it burden of proof is on us to prove that we are repentant person may suspect it so we need to go overboard proving we're repentant Shimei didn't next highest level some people are like Shimei in their relationship to Christ they vigorously oppose him they curse him openly and then later they seem to repent they feel bad they seem to and eventually Christians begin to get suspicious about them That's happened in churches. A lot of pastors can give testimonies. This person seemed to be a Christian, and the next thing you know, he's joining some gang or something, and then he comes back and forth. You can't trust a person like that. They're repenting again for selfish reasons. Selfish repentance is false repentance. And God will catch up with them sooner or later. And like in David's case, maybe even after you're dead, God's justice sometimes follows after we are gone, David died, justice caught up with Shimei. Okay, now let's turn to the good good people in David's life. David's loyal friends. Four of them in particular stand out. You could also throw Nathan in this, who, you know, it says faithful of the wounds of a friend. He was one of David's faithful friends that loved him enough to rebuke him. But let's look at some other ones. In 2 Samuel 15 to 17, we find Hushai, who is explicitly called David's friend. I always like that name, Hushai. Who? Hushai. Who? Hushai. What a name. He wanted to go with David when David was run out of the palace on the run from Absalom. But David said, Hushai, go back to the palace. Stay there. And David was very canny, like the Scots would say. When Absalom and his people come in, you'll be there. Keep your ears open for me. You'll be my set of eyes. You're going to be my spy. But that was very dangerous. What if word got out and Hushai was caught, but he moved amongst Absalom's people and they never caught on? You know, we ought to thank God for spies. My dad was a spy in World War II. Did you know that? And he caught two Nazis. And I'll tell you those stories, but he used to say, son, it's very dangerous. They could knife you in your sleep, 
you never know who's going to turn on you. And he used to say, uh, one spy uh, is worth 10,000 10, soldiers because they, they're putting their life on the line and they can do a lot when they, with their ears and their eyes. So Hushai was a noble spy. Remember back then when Ahithophel uh, gave this advice to Absalom and another man stepped forward? That was Hushai. He saw just the right moment. He said, oh, they take that advice. They're going to win. So he steps up and says, Absalom, I've got, a, I've got an alternative plan, plan B. And Absalom took that. Very clever, Mr. Hushai. And that led to Absalom's, uh, to Ahithophel's downfall and suicide and also Absalom's defeat. And he was later rewarded. What a guy. I like uh, Mr. Hushai. Who, Hushai. Here's our application. Treasure friends like this that are very wise, very brave, very loyal. Trust them with your life like David did. And be a friend like Hushai. You be a Hushai. Who? You be a Hushai. Very loyal. Higher level, some Christians are like Hushai in their loyalty to Christ. They're very brave. They'll preach in the open air. I remember preaching in the open air to a motorcycle gang that threatened me. (laughs) And I had another guy charge after me wanting to take my life. And it can be dangerous. Be like Hushai. Put yourself in harm's way for Christ's sake. That's what Hushai did. Also remember, there are people that are placed in very strategic places to do much good for Christ and the gospel. Hushai was the right man at the right place waiting for the right moment and it came. Can you think of someone else like that in the Bible? Who knows but for such a time as this? Someone shouted out, who? Esther. And pray for people. You might be one of those people at just the right place in your family, in your job, wherever, neighborhood. And God's put you there and you may have to wait. And then at that right golden moment, you can say or do the right thing. They can protect lives, can promote the gospel and do much good. There are Christians like that in government, education, business. And we should be like Mr. Hushai uh, wherever we are. And like Hushai, be ready to present a wise alternative that can promote Christ and the gospel and get someone to accept that advice rather than the bad advice of someone like Ahithophel. Okay, we come to number eight. Ittai, I-T-T-A-I. Whatever happened to John, Paul, George, and Ringo? Simple names. Well, these are Hebrew names. Second Samuel 15, he was a Philistine. Keep that in mind, he was a Gentile. But he converted over to Judaism. Can you think of another uh, noble Gentile that converted to Judaism in the life of David? Uriah the Hittite. But he had only recently joined David in his service at the palace. So David said, well, um, we appreciate your offer, but you can go back. But Ittai said, no, I'm not going back. I'm going to stick with you no matter what. David said, Look, we might all be executed. And Ittai said, paraphrasing, so what? (laughs) It was my life. I'm going to stick with you, David. Again, very loyal. And so he said this, as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my Lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. And not only that, he took his family with him. And so David said, okay, you can stay with me and the others 
you're putting everybody's life at risk. And so we said, so what? Our lives are in God's hands. He had a higher perspective on life. And so he, uh, David elevated him, even though he had been a Gentile. He's up there, up there with Joab and Abishai, one of the chief generals and advisors to David, because David was a good judge of character. So should we be. Here's application. David accepted him, even though he was from a different background, different race. David was not a racist, neither should we be. He accepted other people regardless of their background. He didn't hold it against him, and neither should we. In the body of Christ, all Christians should be welcome. Doesn't matter if you were a church-going person before you got converted, or you weren't. Doesn't matter if you were a criminal, an atheist, or whatever, you should welcome them in like David did with Ittai. Again, on the highest level, some new converts are like Ittai. I like these guys. They're bold. They're all out for Christ. And like Ittai, Ittai brought his family to David. Fathers should bring their families to Christ and say, we're going to, as for me and my household, we will follow the Lord. And you remember that Philippian jailer when he was converted, the rest of his family was also converted. Be like Ittai that was willing to live or to die for David. We should be willing to live or die for the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be noble soldiers that are willing to die. What does it say in Philippians 1? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I can't lose. I think Ittai figured that. And Christ will reward and elevate you one day in this life or the next. Just like David rewarded Ittai for his courage. I bet David said, Ittai... You're my friend. If I had a thousand like you, we could conquer the world. We should be like him. And God pays notice. Okay, we've come to number nine. Zadok. He's in 2 Samuel 15 to 20. He was one of the high priests. And he was with Abiathar and the Levites that rescued the Ark of the Covenant when it was captured. What stands out about this man is his zealous... Uh, zeal for the true worship of God and he was afraid that Absalom would commit sacrilege with the Ark of the Covenant. And so he helped restore the worship of God. He, he was a noble high priest. And so David he was friends with him and would send him back and forth to the palace just like this other man. You're going to be my eyes and ears in the palace because somehow he knew that Absalom's going to think, well, I've got Zadok on my side. But David realized, no, he you still belong with me because I'm following the Lord and Absalom is not. So when the revolt was put down, Zadok and others spoke for David to the elders of Israel to reconfirm David as king. He stepped forward and said, look, the revolt has been put down. If you have any doubts about it, we're stepping forward. We're saying we're going to anoint David again. He's our king. And that's what happened. Okay, here's our application. Some Christians are particularly zealous to protect and promote the worship of God, like Zadok. And so should we. Uh, Jesus once said, zeal for your house has consumed me. And I read that in my devotions just this morning. Um, We should be zealous to prevent sacrilege, which is desecrating to the cause of God, and we should not tolerate false worship. We should put God first and learn from people like that and be one of them. Lastly, we come to... Another one of David's friends, Barzillai. I've never met anybody named Barzillai, not even a Jew. I wonder if they've named any Jewish boys Barzillai. He's mentioned in 2 Samuel 19. 
He's an old man. He's 80 years old, wealthy. He was one of those that brought supplies to David and his men when David was on the run from Saul and from Absalom. And then after David's victory, he meets up with David again. Can't you just picture it? There's David saying, you know, the Lord has protected me. And here comes old Barzillai. I stooped over. And David says, I got to give you a big hug, Barzillai. You stood with me and you helped me like this. I imagine they hugged and wept. And um, David offered to reward him and protect him in the palace for the rest of your life. And Barzillai said, no, I don't need that. I just want to go back to my own home, live out my life there. And it says that David hugged him and kissed him on the cheek and blessed him in the name of the Lord. Application is thank God for elderly saints like Barzillai. Somewhere in the book of Acts, it mentions a man, I don't even remember his name, and it just mentioned him and it says an old disciple. Thank God for elderly saints. I remember something John MacArthur said. He says, those that have followed Christ for many years, they're like the power of Niagara Falls. They're not like a little babbling brook, like a young Christian. They've stood the test of time. They're very mature. You can depend upon them like Barzillai. And then MacArthur said, they're like that rock that's a ballast in the bottom of a ship that keeps it from tipping over And he said, we need old saints in the church. Thank God that we do have a few. We need to be like Barzillai. Serve Christ even into old age. He wasn't coasting. We shouldn't coast either. And like Barzillai was very generous to David, we should be generous to Christ, the ultimate son of David, and to his people. Be generous. Look for the opportunity to help those that are in need. But unlike Ahithophel, who is also getting on in years, we need to be loyal to the very end. And I think we're going to meet Barzillai and Zadok and Ittai and perhaps even Mephibosheth in heaven. Well, those are our good and bad examples and some that are kind of in between, good and bad. Let's pray. Father, help us to follow the good examples of those in the Bible and those that we know in the church and avoid the bad examples that we hear about. And let us most of all follow the best example of all who is not David, but the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.